Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. I think he was thinking for a moment of, of whether here it, it really was here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen from New Orleans, where it's it's warm enough, we should have some parades or something. I don't know. Think think of think of a reason. There is a. Uh, some reason to follow the dollar today. First of all, for those of you who think that uh, Goldman Sachs got away like Bank of America and Citibank and Chase, scot-free from all the misdeeds during the, um, what do we call it now? The Great Recession. Lovely. Uh, here's news from Corporate Council. Dot com, trade publication. Goldman Sachs ended last year with its third straight quarter of shrinking profits. I mean, how much more punishment can you take? The investment bank primarily blamed legal costs associated with its role in selling shoddy mortgage securities during the financial crisis. I don't know how you could suffer more than that, ladies and gentlemen. Legal costs from selling shoddy mortgages are biting into their profits. What do you want? You want perp walks? You want people in jail? They're prof- What kind of a monster are you? And a Fiscal Times, Fiscal Times reports a new wrinkle in the drawn-out saga of the F-35, the Pentagon's troubled fighter jet of the future. Isn't this the future? Aren't we living in the future? It looks like it. At the current pace of testing, the contractors being paid by the federal government will have produced as many as 500 of these new jets, 100 million or so apiece. It's a bargain. Before the Defense Department can say for sure the plane does what it's supposed to do. Make the contract, build them, then test them. It, it's a, it's a, a model that works so well in so much of our lives these days. This uh, revelation comes from a report issued by J. Michael Gilmore, the Director of Operational Test and Evaluation Office within the Department Department of Defense. Bloomberg News uh, obtained a copy of the report, which is not yet publicly available. And if they have anything to do with it, the Pentagon envisions buying nearly 2,500 of the jets eventually. The program will cost well over a trillion. You got that on you, right? If we wait long enough, the first several hundred are due over the next few years. Various problems with the plane, particularly software issues. It's just a patch. It just needs a patch. Uh, have required the Pentagon to push back the start of the testing process to 2018. Considering the plane's track record so far, the likelihood that the testing of its capabilities will reveal new shortcomings. It's a pretty good bet. That means the Pentagon will have hundreds of incredibly expensive planes on its hands that may not perform up to expectations. According to the report, these aircraft will require a still-to-be-determined list of modifications to be fully capable. However, these modifications may be unaffordable for the armed services as they consider the cost of upgrading these early lots of aircraft while the program continues to increase production rates in a fiscally constrained environment. You boys don't mind flying the early ones, do you? They got a few bugs. But you're good pilots. The F-35 was designed to save money. Ain't that ironic? By creating a single plane that the various branches of the U.S. armed forces could all use. However, the program has been plagued plagued by cost overruns and delays. In addition, your various armed services have demanded specific capabilities in the versions supplied to them. 
defeating the purpose of creating one uniform jet for all the armed services. So there, there's your intent. There's your cocked hat right there. Now, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it is the eve of the Iowa caucuses. And we've had that system explained to us over and over again. I think I understand it by now. Um, and on the eve, well, on the eve of the eve of the eve, that is to say Friday, um, new reporting came out about the some of the emails found on Hillary Clinton's private email server that they have turned out to be to contain not just classified information but top secret information and um there are reports that the FBI is investigating this comes out you know as i say the eve of the eve of the eve of the Iowa caucuses and the Clinton campaign understandably understandably says it's politics the timing is politics uh, probably is but then uh, Hillary Clinton also say, uh, issues a statement, uh, her campaign does, saying that this is nothing more than reflective of um, a, a, a overclassification run amok. Federal government overclassification run amok. That's what's happening here, that these pieces of information, some of which included, supposedly or reportedly, articles published in the public press. It's rampant overclassification. Now, we know that the Obama administration has been resolute in refusing to acknowledge the existence of a drone assassination program. There have been reports in the public press, yes, but any mention of a drone program, drone assassination program, has been classified by the Obama administration, even if it's been reported in the New York Times. That may be some of what this is. It's interesting that Hillary Clinton, who served for some time in the federal government, waited until the eve of the eve of the eve of the Iowa caucuses to rail against overclassification, something anybody who's been paying attention to the secrecy policies of the federal government has been aware of for years. But, you know, never too late. So that the uh, speculation fueled by some, including former Attorney General Michael Mukasey, who has worked in the Bush administration, has a probably a political axe to grind, is that there may be, if the FBI investigation concludes that there should be, there might be, you know, some uh, some action by the Justice Department, something resembling prosecution. Uh, for comparative purposes, we turn to the case of David Petraeus. That's with a P, former U.S. military commander and CIA director who pled guilty. He was allowed to plead guilty to mishandling classified information because he shared official binders containing classified information with his squeeze, his main squeeze, who was writing a book about him at the time. He got two years of probation and a $100,000 fine. And this week, the secretary of the uh, defense said uh, there will be no further punishment of David Petraeus. The people who get punished for uh, classified information are uh, making classified information public are usually low-level whistleblowers in the federal government. 
So if you're wondering if anything is going to happen to Hillary Clinton as a result of all this, I would say the uh, the odds are no, unless she suddenly decides to become a low-level federal whistleblower. Hello, welcome to the show. From New Orleans, Louisiana, where, yes, it is carnival time. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the godly. A disgraced former Anglican priest has told a child sexual abuse inquiry in Hobart, Tasmania, Australia, that a poorly managed boys club is a, quote, sitting duck for pedophiles and that the church's culture encourages offending. The Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse is examining the Anglican Church and its youth group, the Church of England Boys Society, 
In particular, the commission is investigating the probability of a multi-state pedophile ring operating within the Church of England Boys Society, the SEBs, between the 60s and the 90s of the previous century. Ex-priest Lewis Daniels, a convicted Tasmanian pedophile, <laughs> it's not a specific kind of te- pedophile, like the Tasmanian devil. It's just a pedophile who, have, who was lucky enough to live in Tasmania, was asked if, the, if he believed that there was a culture that facilitated offending within the society. He said the nature of the society's activities, like camps and tours with young boys, provided opportunity. A boys' society, unless it is very carefully managed, is a sitting duck, isn't it? He said. He also said there is a culture that encourages offending. I think there is. I'm not sure I can define it. He says, growing up in Tasmania in the church through those years and then trying to come to terms with your sexuality was a bit of a torment. He said he had no outlet for his sexuality due to Tasmania's laws against sex between consulting adult men, illegal until 1997. When he was asked if he was suspicious of the activities of his friend, Garth Hawkins, a former rector and a convicted offender, he said yes. The two knew each other. From the mid-1970s, Daniels was jailed for molesting 10 boys between 1973 and 93. Hawkins faced trial in 2003 for abusing seven teenage boys, got seven and a half years in prison. They had been on youth camps with young boys together. They had taken groups of young boys a few times to stay at Hawkins' rectory. It's the rectory. A survivor of sexual abuse at the hands of Tasmanian Anglican clergymen said he believed there's a fraternity of pedophile church figures. The commission did hear evidence from convicted offender Garth Hawkins, who's changed his name to Robin Goodfellow. It's right here. I I didn't write it. I wish I did. Can't make those up. More news of the godly. Poland's conservative pro-Catholic government says it plans to help finance a college founded by a controversial priest who also runs Radio Marija, a station that has been reprimanded by the Vatican for anti-Semitism. See how that works? Members of the ruling Law and Justice Party say they want to earmark $4.9 million. That's a lot of zlotties from this year's budget for Father Tadusz Rydzik's College of Social Media Culture, which offers degrees in journalism and other subjects. I'd, get, I'd, I'd major in other subjects, given what's happening in journalism. Andrei Jaworski, head of the Parliamentary Finance Committee, said the school had been completely neglected and ignored by the country's previous leaders. The school is private, has never received state help before, but this uh, party swept to victory in an October election, thanks in part to the positive coverage given to the party by Radio Marisia. It's a system. It has a devoted following, does this radio station, among conservative polls. Some of the ideas it promulgates, according to the Associated Press, are widely condemned by liberal polls and even many other Catholics as xenophobic and homophobic. It's radiophobic. Following anti-Semitic broadcasts in the past, two popes issued warnings to the station, saying they were not pleased. The uh, European Union is assessing whether the new government in Poland has committed systemic violations of the rule of law after government moves that gave the government direct control over broadcasting. Maybe not including Radio Marisia. A former chairman of the key diocesan council in Regensburg, Germany, has alleged that Vatican Cardinal Gerhard Müller, quote, systematically, unquote, prevented the investigation of abuse in Germany's famous Regensburger Domspatzen Boys Choir. It is the language of love. During his time as Bishop of Regensburg, 
the allegations against Cardinal Müller, Müller, who is now the prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, coincided with 60 further alleged abuse victims coming forward. Müller, who was chair, a bishop of Regensburg from, for 12 years, beginning of the century, systematically prevented abuse cases from being investigated, according to uh, a former official. Müller disbanded the lay diocesan council as he wanted to hold the reins firmly in his own hands, and that proved fatal for inner church investigation of abuse. Two years later, said the official, Mueller installed a priest in a parish who had been sentenced for sexually abusing minors in a previous parish. When the priest was again arrested for abusing children in his new parish, Mueller defended his decision by pointing out he'd been assured by the man psychiatrist that he was healed. Blame the shrinks. Asked at the time whether he felt responsible for reinstalling the priest now that he had again sexually abused children, Mueller said the priest had denied the abuse 12 times to Mueller's face, and therefore the priest had a, quote, disturbed view of the truth, unquote. Mueller ignored the 2002 German bishop's guidelines, which recommended the priest's sentence for sexual abuse of minors should never again be allowed to work with children or young people. His view was that each diocese had the shoulder responsibility for such cases itself. He uh, obstinately did, Mueller, maintained that neither the bishop nor the church were responsible for abusers, even as late as 2012, when a sexual abuse tsunami swept through Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. He says the responsibility always lay solely with the perpetrator. And a study has found evidence of child abuse from the 1930s to the 1950s at a Catholic educational institution in western Switzerland. Switzerland! It's not Cuckoo clocks and chocolate is not all they make there. At least 21 people are thought to have been affected. The historical study led by Bishop Charles Morerod found that 11 perpetrators were involved in the mistreatment, serious, and repeated sexual abuse of the children and young adults, young adults' pr- uh, pupils at the Catholic Marini Institute between 29 and 55. The study said it so far managed to uncover 21 cases of abuse. The victims came from particularly precarious social backgrounds and difficult family situations. It added the stigmatization associated with poverty and the ostracism of children born out of wedlock contributed to the silence and disinterest of the public and the authorities. Among the 11 verifiable abusers were two successive directors of the Institute who were priests and two clergymen at the Institute. The report went on to say the will to publicly prevent any publicity surrounding the perpetrators of sexual abuse was absolute for the authorities of the diocese. A few victims were intimidated into silence. And in some instances, a priest would be transferred, but not convicted or punished. News. It's news of the godly, ladies and gentlemen. It is a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And um, CDs, you know, the CDs can sleep, too. I'm looking at one right now who's taking a... A well-deserved nap. Um, but in the meantime, in between time... He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He's at no stoops. He's an inspector general. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, among the... You know, there's there's so many statements in this political campaign this is a this is by way of prelude to news of inspector general so many unequivocal unqualified unmodified statements being made 
in the political campaign right now. It's worth reviewing an unequivocal, unmodified, unqualified statement made by the sitting vice president of the United States. This was on Meet the Press about five and a half years ago. We're starting this process just like we did in Iraq. We're starting it in July of 2011, and we're going to be totally out of there come hell or high water by 2014. There is Afghanistan. Totally out of there. Come hell or high water by 2014. Check your uh, calendars, ladies and gentlemen. I, I think they may have run fast. America's 14-year project to defeat the Taliban and build a stable Afghanistan is teetering on the brink of failure, according to a report issued Friday by the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, the Seagar. You know who I mean. He's the Seagar. And he comes with more bad news. I guess it's hell. Or it's high water. The Taliban controls more of the country than at any time since the U.S. invaded in 2001. The fragile economy is worsening. One of the few bright spots of the troubled reconstruction effort, getting more girls in school, has been tainted by allegations of fraud. What else you got? The lack of security has made it almost impossible for many U.S. and even some Afghan officials to get out to manage and inspect U.S.-funded reconstruction projects says the Inspector General. The U.S. has spent more than $113 billion on Afghan reconstruction, more in constant dollars, I'd like some constant dollars, than it spent rebuilding Western Europe under the Marshall Plan after World War II. Kids, look it up. It's on track to spend billions more, but many critics view the Afghan civilian aid program as a wasteful failure. Oh, please. Rush to judgment? Much? Sopko, the Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction has examined a fraction of the spending. His audits have uncovered $17 billion in questioned cuts, costs in just three years. His latest bleak assessment comes as the Pentagon is concluding that holding off the Taliban will require the U.S. Are you listening, Joe Biden? Will require the U.S. to keep combat troops there far longer than originally intended. Military officials are discussing plans that would keep thousands of American troops in Afghanistan for decades Hell and high water. At his Senate confirmation hearing this week to be the new Afghan war commander, hey, congratulations. Welcome aboard, General John Nicholson. Wow, you lucky SOB. He said he agreed with John McCain, who said the security and situation in Afghanistan has been deteriorating rather than improving. Now, ladies and gentlemen, given the fact that it's been bad for a long time, the fact that Big supporters of the war and the and the the, the new com- commander going in are willing to say this now. Gives you some idea, perhaps, of how bad it really is. News of the inspectors general. Wow, hate to be that new commander. Oh, come on, nice place to live, nice house, all the amenities, and some of the amenities. Uh, you may have noticed that. Uh, this, this didn't get a lot of attention, I don't think, in the American media because we're focused on other stories here. Or one other story. I think that's the way we do it nowadays. But uh, there are problems with the Italian banks. Um, Italy did not have a really high debt-to-GDP ratio. It wasn't a highly indebted country at, as the uh, Great Recession hit. But... Um, its banks have been found some. They've found some some bad loans on the books at the Italian banks, and uh, now to keep the banks from tottering over into insolvency, 
there are plans to, um, and this is a, a piece of financial, as they call it, financial engineering that uh, one can barely, barely comprehend if one is not in the biz. But it, the, the plan now, afoot, is to take all those bad loans out of these banks so that they can um, restructure with a, a nice, clean balance sheet. That's what they care about, the banks. Is, you know, a nice, clean balance sheet, Un, not loaded down with all these crappy loans that if, we, if they stay on our balance sheet, we'd have to declare them as losses. And that's what threatens their solvency. So they get rid of these loans. They don't get rid of them. The loans still continue to exist. But they live somewhere else on the balance sheet of a new bank created f- specifically for the purpose of holding crappy loans. They don't care what the balance sheet of this bank looks like. That's why they call it a bad bank. That's literally the name that's applied to that particular type of institution. Now, you'd think, well, that's that's sort of unfortunate PR for that bank. I don't think necessarily they're seeking any retail customers or depositors. But even so, you'd like something to... Uh, to dress up the image a little bit.
Stay tuned now on the show as we turn the clock ahead one year minus a week. From the west front of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., this is CPR's live coverage of the inauguration of the 45th President of the United States. I'm Milton Getzler, and on this bitterly cold morning in the nation's capital, tempers appear to be heating up in a startling development unheard of in more than two centuries of American political history. A president-elect, who was originally scheduled to be sworn in at this place and in roughly ten minutes has announced he will not appear at his own inauguration. I say a startling development, although anyone who's followed Donald Trump's victorious campaign for the presidency can't really claim to be that surprised. It all began last night, as reported by David Muir on ABC News. Thank you for joining us on a Monday, and a late development for our West Coast viewers. President-elect Donald Trump just announcing through Press Secretary Ann Coulter that he will not be participating in tomorrow's inauguration ceremony. Look, we've said that if Chris Wallace of Fox, who asked the most insulting question to Mr. Trump during the final debate before the election, if he was invited to the inauguration, he, he could take the oath himself because Mr. Trump would not be there. Uh, Fox, for reasons of their own, has decided to have reasons of their own. Mr. Trump, for his part... Uh, is going to spend the day at his family estate in Florida preparing for this awesome new assignment by cutting down on the number of people he follows on Twitter. No comment yet from Chief Justice uh, John Roberts scheduled to swear in the new president. Then, late yesterday evening, President-elect Trump himself surfaced in an interview with longtime CBS Washington reporter Bob Schieffer. Mr. Trump, there's a, a rumor going around Washington tonight that you're planning to skip your own inauguration. First of all, can you tell me if that's true, and if so, why in the world would you do that? First of all, Bob, you came out of retirement to cover this campaign. Uh, you really shouldn't have done that. Sometimes it's better to leave well enough alone. All right, but sir, are you going to take the oath of office at noon tomorrow on the steps of the Capitol building? Let me ask you a question, Bob. Do you know what the temperature is going to be there tomorrow? It's going to be about 25, maybe 28 if the sun comes out. That's what all the experts say. That's what your own weatherologists say. Now, I said I'd pay for those portable heaters like the nice restaurants have. For the patio seating, we have them in some of our nicer hotels. They do an amazing job. You can sit where it's freezing. Your food stays totally warm. But some bureaucrat said that that, that was a security problem, bringing in non-federal equipment on short notice or something. I don't know. I said, fine. All I know is I'm going to be indoors. I mean, we're indoors now. We're not doing this interview in the freezing cold, right? So, so you're not protesting Chris Wallace's presence at the event? It's just the admittedly freezing condition? Bob, I've been elected the president of the United States. Don't you think I have more important things on my mind than where a fifth-rate loser like Chris Wallace is sitting? Well, such is what? I, I'm sorry, Bob. I don't have to answer gotcha questions. You can go back to Dallas and pick lid off your trousers. Left unanswered at the end of the truncated interview was whether Trump planned to take the oath of office at all. 
whether he would in fact take the step the Constitution requires of a newly elected president. Conservative talk radio hosts were divided on the question of whether he even needed to, or should. Here was Glenn Beck earlier today. Now the Constitution says that before he takes office, he has to swear to the oath. Swear to the oath. The oath is right there in the Constitution. The one he said in his last debate, he was in the middle of reading. Did I tell you this would happen? Did I warn you that we were putting the fate of God's best hope for man in the hands of an, of an unhinged hedonist, maybe even a Satanist? What's he going to do? Let Vice President Carl Icahn swear in and take over until he's decided it's warm enough to do the job? If there was ever a day where I would recommend that you buy gold, and lots of it, it's today. Minutes later on his own talk radio show, this was Rush Limbaugh. All right, my friends, let me I, the finest intellect known in the broadcasting universe, to this question. Nowhere in the Constitution does it say that the Chief Justice of the United States has to swear him in on the steps of the Capitol. He could take the oath in his office, or in his pajamas, or in one of his casinos if he still owned them. He could be sworn in by his wife, or any of his kids. What's her name, uh... Mr. Snurdly, Omarosa from The Apprentice could do it. The point, my friends, is simply this. This is what the drive-by media can't stand. They and the political establishment say, these are the rules we wrote and you have to live by them. And Donald Trump is saying, no, I don't, over and over and over again. And maybe if Fox hadn't canceled my TV show, maybe, just maybe, it's possible they would understand this by now. It's now just minutes before the inauguration was scheduled to begin. The latest word we have is that President-elect Trump is at his family's estate at Mar-a-Lago, Florida. It was from there that he phoned in a few minutes ago to speak with MSNBC's Brian Williams. Uh, sir, the first question at this hour would be, are you preparing to take the oath of office down there at your estate? Brian, let me tell you something. First of all, NBC should never have let you back on the air. <laughs> Surely, sir, you, you didn't call in just to tell me that. I didn't call in. Your people called me. I, I thought I'd, I think it was the producer for Morning Joe or something. I was expecting to speak to Joe. Suddenly... Well, this is breaking news. I'm MSNBC's breaking news anchor. I think you're MSNBC's anchor baby. But it... whatever you are, yes, I'm taking the oath. I have my own Bible. I'll be putting my hand on it. It's a Bible that was given to me by one of the popes. I don't remember which one. You know, I've met all seven or eight popes. I was originally going to build a, the new St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York, which would have been the most amazing and, cathedral. And who will be administering the oath to you, sir? Well, a lot of people are here with me. My great friend Don King might swear me in. We don't have to make that decision for a while yet. Don King, the boxing promoter? He, he's a great humanitarian. Most people don't know that. But he's done amazing things for our veterans. And do you have any plans to come back up to Washington for any of the inaugural balls? After all, they're all indoors. And as far as we've been able to tell, Chris Wallace hasn't been invited to any of them. You know, let me tell you something. We're going to have the most spectacular inaugural ball right down here at Mar-a-Lago. Billy Joel is going to be singing. Jay-Z says he's going to stop by. We're going to send a few planes to bring people down from Washington if they want to come. If they don't, that's fine. They don't have to do business with 
with the United States government. And you know the best thing about my inaugural ball, Brian? Mexico is going to pay for it. They've already sent the check. And as far as Chris Wallace is concerned, you know, his father was a great reporter, one of the greatest. And Chris is a disaster. I don't know how you explain that. Maybe something happened genetically that I don't even want to know about. So at this hour, the president-elect is being sworn in at a ceremony that is being televised only by the newly organized Trump Network, which took over the channel positions of the former Al Jazeera America. And Washington wonders when President-elect Trump makes his first appearance in this city. As he told the women of ABC's The View in another phone call moments ago... Let me tell you something. I don't even know if I'm going to live in the White House. You know, it's a terrible building. I know something about buildings. They've got horrible plumbing problems there. Vermin like you wouldn't believe. I mean, let's face it. There's much more space down here in West Palm Beach. We're looking right now into whether there's anything that says I have to live in the White House. We don't think there is. So maybe they should all come down here. So as Vice President-elect Carl Icahn prepares to take his oath... That concludes our coverage of this historic day. I'm Milton Getzler in Washington. We had support from the Trump Fund for coverage of the greatest presidency ever. This is CPR, Continental Public Radio.
And now, ladies and gentlemen, the Apology of the Week. Alaska Airlines. No, come on. They, they don't have everything to apologize for. They issued an apology this week for using the phrase, quote, meet our Eskimo, unquote, in a high-profile rebranding campaign. Why would they have to rebrand if they were... Quote, we apologize and take full responsibility for this insensitive reference, wrote the chief executive, Brad Tilden. Hey, Brad. We are immediately taking down this reference and pledge that we will work to be both respectful and fully cognizant of the importance of this symbol to the native people of Alaska, said the rest of Brad's statement. The Seattle-based airline took fire on social media for using that phrase to draw attention to its freshly tweaked image of an unidentified parka-clad man. That image has graced the tails of Alaska Airlines planes for decades. It was very condescending, said a resident of Barrow, Alaska. My first thought was, you don't own an Eskimo. Said another, it was subtle racism. It's one thing to say the iconic image represents a culture and a way of life you support, said the uh, tweeter. It's another thing entirely to say this is ours and what we're selling. It seems more the sense of ownership than the, the phrase implies that rather than the use of the word Eskimo that has angered people. Eskimo is a widely used term in Alaska describing Inupiat and Yupik people. I knew about the Inupiats. Didn't know about the Yupik. HSBC Bank has apologized. No, not for the money laundering for drug lords and terrorists. No, they paid a little fine for that. But no, they've apologized to customers who were locked out of Internet banking services. The lender was hit by a cyber attack this week. Users reported they were unable to access their online accounts. An HSBC spokesperson explained the outage was due to a denial-of-service attack but the bank effectively raised its defenses. Customer transactions were not affected, they said. Nikon Singapore, that's the subsidiary of Nikon in Singapore, apologized after it awarded a, fry, a, pri, a, fo, a prize in a photo contest to a picture that turned out to have been photoshopped. It posted an announcement congratulating photographer Che Yu Wei for his picture of an airplane supposedly flying above a ladder in Chinatown, Singapore. Yu Wei chanced upon a set of ladders while on a walk with his friends and thought the view would make an interesting perspective. Little did he expect to catch an airplane in midair. We'll try looking up too. Your way, Yu Wei, your shot has won you a Nikon trolley bag, said Nikon originally. He took it with a Nikon D90. However, People on the internet were quick to notice the image was photoshopped and badly edited, noting the presence of a white box that surrounded the airplane that did not match the sky. In a Facebook post, Nikon apologized for the oversight on its part. We've taken in every feedback received, and we sincerely apologize for the oversight on our part. We're now in the process of carefully revisiting the contest's rules and regulations. For the benefit of all our members, we will update everyone of the contest rules once we revisited all of them. Responders edited their own photos of the ladder and replaced the aircraft with other objects, including a space satellite and Godzilla. Godzilla, everybody! I guess they just didn't look 
too closely at the photo, don't you think, Nikon? Last weekend, a horrified visitor from Michigan filmed a Miami Beach garbage crew trashing hundreds of unopened gallons of water left over after the Miami Marathon. The man couldn't help think of the lead water crisis in Flint back in his home state while wondering if the race organizers couldn't have conserved the water somehow. Now Frankie Ruiz, a co-founder of the marathon and prominent local Miami runner and coach, says the water disposal was a mistake. Ruiz apologized in an email and promised to change policies for next year's race to avoid the problem. Quote, I firmly accept responsibility for our hired cleanup crew, mistakenly discarding about $300 worth of our purchased gallon water. He writes, that's a sp- I guess that's a kind of water, gallon Rest assured, we will be doing our part procedurally to ensure that this mishap doesn't occur again at the Miami Marathon or any of our running or triathlon events. Why was some of the water trashed instead of donated? It's still not clear. The point is it it happened and it should not have, says Ruiz. I, interrupting the apologies for a moment, I thought of a related matter when I heard of all the snow being collected and dumped in Washington, D.C., and thought, well, you could just let it melt, and then it would be water, and then a Delta Airlines Boeing 757-200 flight from Los Angeles to Minneapolis was en route south of Salt Lake City when the captain decided to divert the aircraft to Salt Lake City. He said he wanted to hear from his flight attendants. A passenger reported that three cabin crew were sent off the plane due to bad behavior. The airline subsequently sent a letter of apology stating, quote, some of our team members did not display their best behavior. We expect our flight crew to be nothing but courteous and professional at all times, and what you experienced was far from that. I'm sorry we didn't deliver on our brand promise for you today, unquote. The uh, plane continued the flight, delayed about 75 minutes. The Aviation Herald learned that two flight attendants disagreeing over work issues this was the problem, engaged in a fist fight on the plane. A third lady, trying to calm the other two down, was hit by the flying fists. The purser informed the flight deck, flight deck, and the captain decided to divert. It sounds like a porn movie, but it's not. An organiz- soft, soft. An organization belonging to the Swiss Socialist Party has apologized for posting online a caricature which critics said was reminiscent of Nazi anti-Semitic propaganda. JUSO, the youth division of the Social Democratic Party of Switzerland, that's the country's second largest party, released a statement saying it was a mistake to publish the caricature last week on the organization's Facebook page. The caricature in question shows the economics minister of Switzerland saying, quote, and one spoonful for the international finance lobby as he feeds a large-mouthed man wearing a black coat and hat and side locks who is clutching the minister's wrist. A boy with lighter hair sits on the minister's other side while opening his fall, uh, far smaller mouth. Quote, we understand the cartoon allows for an interpretation through anti-Semitic codes and stereotypes that absolutely do not correspond with our basic, basic values, the organization wrote. We would like to apologize unreservedly for this regrettable error and affirm there was no intention to reproduce anti-Semitism. The car- caricature was part of the party's campaign against speculation, which uh, the uh, Swiss daily Blick Yeah, I'm reading Blick, defined it as, quote, reminiscent of the imagery of the Nazis. Well, we're all reminiscing a little bit these days. News, uh, sorry, the apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. 
And now, und now, news of our friend the Adam. Clean, safe, to cheat, to meet. Safe, safe, to cheat, to meet. Safe, safe, to save, to meet. Safe, safe, to save, to meet. Added the Adam. Yes, sir. I don't believe you've ever been here at Mardi Gras time before. No, I don't uh, think so. I don't have any recollect. I don't have any clear recollection at this moment. Uh huh. Anybody throw beat at you yet? Yeah, hurt like hell. The executive. They're so big. The executive board of the um, Northwest Region's only nuclear power plant. This is in Oregon. Has agreed to hire an independent investigator to look into whistleblower allegations that the plant's performance has steadily declined. Oh, it's steady. Steady is good. That it ranks among the worst in the country. It's not the worst. And that management has been hiding those results from employees, the board, and members of the public. It's a trade secret. An anonymous letter attributed to employees was circulated to several board members and to the Oregonian in recent weeks. That's the newspaper up there. They they have newspapers? That suggests managers have been glossing over operational potential safety problems at the plant and pushing to keep it online at all costs. The offline's no good. The Columbia Generating Station... Is a reactor located north of Richland, Washington. A spokesman for Energy Northwest, which runs it, says the industry performance scores referenced in the letter are proprietary. See? So he couldn't confirm or deny any specific information in the letter. Critics have argued for years that Columbia Generating Station is an aging plant that poses safety risks to the region, no longer making economic sense to operate given other sources of cheap power. Well, of course they're critics. They're going to criticize. All right. The... Uh, plant in 2012 was relicensed for 20 years by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. So it's got to be good. The reactor does have a history of operational problems that experienced a series of unplanned shutdowns in 2008 and 2009, was subsequently rated as one of the two worst performing nuclear plants in the country by an independent industry-funded group that tracks various operational and safety measures. That review found deficiencies in human performance. Check. Leadership. Check. And equipment reliability. Check prompting the replacement of its management team and an aggressive push to improve performance. For some time, the plant's racking did apparently improve, but according to the anonymous letter, its electricity production relative to its capacity now ranks 91st out of 99 plants in the country. There are eight worse. Yes. The letter says the plant's equipment reliability index is the second lowest or lowest in the industry, and despite, and despite a spate of recent problems, including a stuck valve in the reactor that may have contributed to fuel leaks, the letter said management pushes to keep it open at all costs, where the conservative and safe decision would have been to shut the plant down and fix it correctly and safely. We're not all conservatives. What do you want? Half a, uh, 1,600 feet beneath the forests of northern Germany in an old salt mine, a nightmare is playing out, says New Scientist magazine. What do the old scientists say? They... N- A scheme to dig up previously buried nuclear waste is threatening to wreck public support for Germany's efforts to make a safe transition to a non-nuclear future. Enough plutonium-bearing radioactive waste is stored at that area, the old salt mine. The old salt mine, I remember that. To fill 20 Olympic swimming pools. When engineers backfilled the chambers containing 126,000 drums in the 1970s... Turn down the drums, would you? They thought they had put in... It's put put it out of harm's way forever, but now the walls of the mine, the Asa mine, are collapsing and cracks are forming thanks to pressure from surrounding rocks. 
I claim the rocks. So the race is on to dig it all up before radioactive residues are flushed to the surface. It could take decades to resolve. In the meantime, excavations needed to extract the drums could cause new collapses and make the problems worse. There were people who said it wasn't a good idea to put radioactive waste down here, but nobody listened to them, said the spokeswoman for the Federal Office of Radiation Protection. This is just one part of Germany's nuclear problem. The country is also wrestling a growing backlog of spent fuel. It has to worry about vast volumes of radioactive rubble that will be created as all the country's 17 nuclear plants are decommissioned by 2022, a decision taken in the wake of the Fuchs thing. The uh, cost of getting rid of the waste and the plants is uh, going to be at least, oh, $40 billion. I've got that on me. Dollars? Beads. Sorry. Some 300,000 cubic meters of low and intermediate level waste requiring long-term shielding, including what is dug up from the Asa mine, is earmarked for final burial at the at an iron mine in Lower Saxony. What will happen to the high-level waste, the spent fuel and other highly radioactive waste that must be kept safe for up to a million years is still being debated. Says uh, the chairman of the Final Storage Commission, we all believe deep geology is the best option, but I'm not sure if there's enough public trust to get the job done. That's the problem. There's the public. I blame the public. There's another solution in the works in Japan to the problem of what do you do with the waste. Thank goodness for Japan. Yeah. I know what you mean. Um... It is a, um, a development which uh, would involve using the ocean to um, store the waste for a million years. The Ministry of Econo- Economy, Trade, and Industry has started work on identifying the technical challenges of constructing a disposable facility under the seabed for highly radioactive spent nuclear fuel. They're going to finish the work by summer. The government, this according to the Japan Times, the government would be able to skip potentially tough negotiations with landowners if it builds a disposal facility under the sea. Nobody owns the sea? Not yet. Construction of such a facility would involve many hurdles. In a meeting of the study group, a ministry official uh, stressed nothing has been decided. Such a facility will have to be connected to an onshore facility through a tunnel. So it wouldn't violate the international law that currently restricts and prohibits dumping nuclear waste at sea. Oh, the old tunnel trick, huh? Yep. Sites are expected to be about 6 to 10 miles off the coast. Ministry also plans to take into account nearby volcanoes and active faults. Oh, and that's an abundance of caution. It is indeed. Clean, cheap, safe. Too safe, too too cautious to meet her. Our friend the Adam. Ladies and gentlemen, news of the Olympic movement. The price tag for the Olympics in Rio has risen by $99 million since August, mainly due to rising costs of supplying temporary power and seating at venues. Who knew they would need that? 
projected total cost for the games, including infrastructure projects like the extended subway, now stands at 39.1 billion reals. We don't know how many, much that is in dollars. About 1% more than forecast just six months ago. A higher budget comes as Brazil wrestles with its deepest recession in decades and an inflation rate of about 11%. The spending on the Olympic Stadium stands in stark contrast to financial problems in Rio's health system where hospitals have been forced to close and turn away patients as money runs out. It's a movement. You said the second part yourself, didn't you? Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe, the USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world, through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ The Planet, 7.490 megahertz shortwave, around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live and archived whenever you want at harryshearer.com and kcsn.org. On the Mighty 104 in Berlin, on Soho Radio in London. Hello, London. Yeah, Dick Van Dyke sneaked into the studio for a moment there. Available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com. Available as a free podcast through SoundCloud, Sideshow Network, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and WWNO.org. And it'd be just like... Humans being able to keep something safe for a million years, if you'd agree to join with me then. But you already, thank you very much, uh huh? Show chapeau to San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and exile and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson here at WWNO for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, a playlist for the music heard here on, your chance to get Karzai Talk t-shirts, all at harryshare.com. Let's continue the conversation on Twitter, at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Sensory Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station for the Change is Easy Radio Network. Throw me something, mister. So long from New Orleans.